The views and opinions expressed in the following podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the producers, the affiliates, or digital platforms hosting this podcast. All content is for the purposes of education, conjecture, and at times entertainment. We promote inclusiveness and diversity. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Into the Deep with Jay Caster. Welcome to Into the Deep. I'm Jay Costa. The age-old question, what is consciousness? Just like many, I've had such a fascination about what consciousness really is. Is consciousness not a product of our physical brain? Does it exist apart from our brain? Could it be that our brain acts as some kind of receiver? These are just some theories that scratch the surface. And today's guest is all about consciousness and how consciousness survives after death. He is the host of the Past Lives podcast as well as the Alien UFO podcast. Today's guest is Simon Bowne. Simon has a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy with the UK National Council for Hypnotherapy. He's also certified in past life regression therapy with the Past Life Awakening Institute and he's also a member of the International Practitioners of Holistic Medicine. Simon's mission on the Past Lives podcast is to investigate evidence that demonstrates survival of human consciousness after death. We talk about so much in this episode. We talk about reincarnation. We talk about hypnosis and what it's like being guided through a past life regression. We talk about UFOs as well as encounter stories and experiences. So join me as we seek light and journey into the deep with Simon Bowne. Enjoy. Simon, thank you so much for joining me today. I truly can't thank you enough for all your time. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. If you wouldn't mind sharing for our viewers and our listeners who you are and what it is you do, my friend. Well, I'm a podcaster and a hypnotherapist. I have a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy and certified in past life regression therapy. And that is all I do with my hypnotherapy is past life regression. And so I take people through it from a therapeutic point of view. It's not often we go, uh, say, looking for verification details, somebody's name and where they lived and that kind of thing. It's all about helping people and being therapeutic. And then in my podcasting, I produce two podcasts. One's called the Past Lives Podcast. The other one is the Alien UFO Podcast. I've produced over 250 episodes. Each one's an hour-long interview, and then there are extended episodes, so it can go longer. And almost everybody that's been on my podcast has written a book, and so that's where I get my questions. I read the book to harvest the questions and get an understanding. And so 250 episodes, nearly 250 books, <laughs> and that's just doing the podcast. So it's been quite an education. But I started... Um, this interest is called the Past Lives Podcast, which sounds it's just about reincarnation. But I, I cover everything, people's near-death experiences, mediumship, deathbed visions, remote viewing and psychic things. So it's it's quite a wide thing that I look at. And I remember getting 
books out of the local public library when I was 10 years old, all about supernatural stuff. And um, I went to the College of Psychic Studies in London during the 80s, but I, I wasn't um, a student. It was the, There were lots of people there being trained to be mediums and psychics, and you could book time with them, or you could book time with the teachers. So I was there almost every week and it, for months, and I was seeing all these different people and all these different techniques, and whether they're psychic or they're medium or they're a channel, and that's when I was first taken through a past life regression as well. So. Uh, basically that's me apart from i also play bass guitar which i've done for 40 years yeah rock on i love that gosh (laughs) such a dichotomy of interests and (laughs) culture and everything i love that what so i gotta ask you know being a child and going to the public library and, and getting these books, what where do you think this fascination with the paranormal or just the supernatural or just where do you think it all stemmed from? I, I don't know. I've had a couple of weird experiences when I when I was small, weird dreams and a couple of things that, that I had one night I was in my bedroom, I was six or seven years old. And it was like I woke up at maybe 2 a.m. and I heard an animal growling and we didn't have any pets. Hmm. And, you know, as a kid, I just quickly put the covers over my head and I hid there and it seemed like for hours. But um, I, I've just always had that interest. And when I first started out, it was everything, ghosts and Bigfoot and UFOs and anything supernatural. But it kind of, over the years, went to two different things, the afterlife and UFOs, and they weren't really connected in the old days, but now we're seeing connections between them. Yeah, it's a great point, right? Now we're seeing this like congruence between like science, spirituality, the supernatural, the paranormal, and like it's, it's almost like these lines are blurred now. And uh, what would you say was that catalyst that really got you on that trajectory for for past life research? It's, um, I think part of it was doing this past life regression in the 80s. I was, when I was taken through that by this uh, a lady, and she called it guided meditation. She didn't call it hypnosis. But I remember lying back on this couch in uh, this, because it was a really big old Victorian house. I think it was owned by the, the Society for Psychical Research, you know, which started in the Victorian era. And they had a massive library in this place as well. It was but I, I remember lying back and uh, I was taken through the steps of the meditation and we got to this point where I entered a past life and I found myself as like a, a seven-year-old girl. And I was in a park and it was summer and I looked down and I could see my little feet and the grass. And it's almost like I could really actually feel the grass between my toes. And I, I kind of snuck my eye open a little bit and looked down my body and almost could see my feet, like where my knees are now, there were their feet there. And um, so there was a lot that happened in that past life regression. When I, I was in this park, there was a dog running around and I knew that was our dog. I don't know how I knew that. And there were two adults with a big pram with a baby in it. And I knew that baby was my sibling, that this was my mum and dad. And I recognized the father as somebody who's my best friend in this life. It's like we reincarnated together. And then the houses, I saw myself going through the door and into a house and I could see the furniture. 
And one thing that happened a couple of years later, I was driving through a part of North London that I'd never been to before. And there was the park, exactly as I'd seen it in the past life regression. And the houses were exactly that style, the way they had these steps at the front and the columns by the front door. And um, it, it makes you, it gives you a, a weird feeling when you suddenly spot something like that. And it was very obviously that park. And uh, it's called Primrose Hill. And it's on a real steep slope. And it's almost like if you were a town developer, you wouldn't see that slope and go, hey, great place for a park. It it seemed weird that it was there. And that's why it was very distinct. And you could really spot it easily because of the way it was laid out. And then we moved about in that life. And I moved forward. And I found myself as a nurse in the First World War. And dealing with a lot of stress. And it seemed like we were in these big canvas tents where maybe you could get 10, 15 beds in there for all these wounded soldiers. And that we were just a few miles behind the front line. And so I, I have memories coming through that of this kind of stillness, like being on a shift, maybe at 2 a.m. and it's all the lights are out, everybody's asleep, and but you have to be there, obviously. And this stillness. And I also remember uh, getting angry about the clothes when there was a time where there were a lot of soldiers coming in from the front, there was a big battle and there was a whole stream of them. And I was running up and down with all these beds, doing all this work and, and my skirts were getting in the way. And it was like the, the big long skirts to the floor. And it was like, Oh, why do I have to wear these clothes is getting in the way. And it's, you know, I'm a, a bloke. I don't dress like that. And so to have that anger of that, that viewpoint was quite insightful and interesting. And also it felt like um, an, uh, an annoyance that was old. Like for years, you might have felt like that. When For me, this is brand new. I'm just experiencing it at this moment. So you can see how so much come, can come through in a past life regression. You know these things, you feel these things, maybe you get slight physical feelings. And it can be quite emotional and it's uh, this emotional connection where you can get the catharsis, the release of the bad energy, the understanding of trauma, understanding of why you might have a phobia in this life, or an understanding of a relationship. Because, like I said, I, I recognize the father as the friend in this life. You might have been in a relationship in this life that's not good. And you can go to a past life and see that person again, and you're in that relationship and it was bad then as well. And it's like a repeating pattern and we can find a way to release it. So that um, original past life regression was really powerful for me. And that's what got me really interested in the hypnosis, the past life regressions, reincarnation. And over the years, the books I've read and the people I've talked to, have, you know, there's so much evidence there that points towards reincarnation being a reality. So, uh, you know, when I, I decided I wanted to take people through past life regressions, but I, I wanted to do it properly. I wanted to get a real course in hypnosis. So I really knew what I was doing and doing this 10 month course in clinical hypnotherapy and getting my diploma was really important that I, I know what I'm doing and I learned it all properly. And there are some courses, I don't know if what it's like in the United States, but in England, in the UK, you can do a course just like Saturday and Sunday, there's your diploma. Well, that's no good. You know, my, my course was 10 months. I, I put some real study into it. 
So um, it, it's it's something that's always an exploration for me when I take someone into a past life. I never know what's going to come up. And that keeps it fascinating every time. So I hope I've answered that question. Absolutely. And I can understand how it would be so fascinating with all these different, you know, lives and experiences and, and things like that, especially just having it yourself, having that experience. When you were describing it, I couldn't help but feel like this sense of dreamlike state where, you know, there are often times where like, I'll wake up from a dream. And in that dream, I felt like I knew this person, but I, you know, wasn't them. What would you feel like? I mean, what's that to be said about our consciousness? Like, how are these worlds? How do they exist? Yeah, I know it's it's this uh, thing with reincarnation and consciousness that it's you that moves from life to life, and there's that idea that it's a soul that's kind of incarnated and in, in this physical vessel. But I, I think it's something far more complicated going on, and that would, your soul will incarnate, but they'll only put ten percent of itself in your body, and it may put ten percent of itself in another body, or the rest of it remains in that space where wherever souls are, you know, we could call the afterlife space or another dimension. And uh, the, the thing about what is consciousness, you know, is so tricky. And obviously there's neuroscientists who tell you it's just a product of the brain. You know, when, when you die, it's like switching off a computer. It all stops. But, you know, there's so much evidence with near-death experiences and, and children with past life memories that show that consciousness isn't just a product of the, the brain it continues and that there's multi-dimensional stuff happening and maybe the quantum physics is starting to touch on something there to do with the uh, consciousness and uh there's also little experiments that have been done by big universities that have proved psychic things happen and so it's you know consciousness does continue and we're just uh like they say spiritual beings having a human experience yes and uh, i absolutely love that sentiment that sentiment is you know one that's gotten me on so many different paths that i, I wasn't on previously just thinking about it that way you know so in your experience with some of you know maybe the folks that you've interviewed guests you've had books you've read have there been any people that still stick out to you that really have made you have those aha moments and really changed your perspective on something? Yeah, I, I was interviewing uh, somebody. This this was, uh, it's weird to say, years ago with the, with the podcast, and uh, they would take people through past life regressions. And this was something I hadn't noticed before, but uh, she was taking this person through the past life regression and they went through the death of that life and they got to this afterlife space and the spirit guide was there. And the guide said, you've got to go back. You, 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 the plan was that you would learn this lesson in this life. You didn't learn the lesson. You're going to have to live another life to try and learn this lesson. And so they said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it again. And then they were born in 1958. And then they lived through and they died, I think it was in 2040. And so the thing was, hang on, we thought, hang on a second. If they were born in 1958, the life that they just lived where they failed the lesson, they were alive in 1958. 
So they were born again, they'd gone back in time and were born in 1958, while they were also alive in another life, failing the lesson. And they got to this point where they, they saw the death of that life in 2040, and that's the future. But they were able to hypnotically get to that point. And so that that's something that really stood out to me and made me think about this thing, this idea of parallel lives, how much percentage your soul will put into a life and how much you may be learning. So that that was really interesting. And I talked to um, a woman on the podcast called Jenny Cockle, who has memories of past lives, and she's never been hypnotized. She just remembers them. And she says when she was at school and she was a little girl, she thought everybody remembered past lives. And she talked to her friends about it, and they thought she was crazy. So she learned not to talk about it. But she remembered this life in Ireland and... It was in this town called Malahide that's north of Dublin. Now, she's from North England, and uh, she she wasn't in a particularly rich family when she was married, but she managed to get the money together and go to Malahide. And when she got there, she walked down the street. She remembered it all. She said, hey, the butcher's shop used to be there. I used to take the shortcut around the church to get to my house in the in the lane. And... She went to this place, this small cottage that was her house, and it's now derelict. But she knew all this stuff, and they tracked down the family. And in the previous life, she's had, I think it was five children. And so they found the children. And obviously, they're older than her now. Right. But she talked to them about, about stuff, and she would talk about things that happened say 1938 or 1940 something and and she'd say remember that time we were in the back garden and you had that frog and I got angry with you because you shouldn't have been picking up frogs and then something happened the frog died and the kids were like you couldn't know that how could you possibly know these details and she had loads of stories like that and it got to this point where the children accepted her as the reincarnation of their mother because she knew so much that there's no way she could have known. And that's not the only life she remembered. She remembered one when she was a small boy that died in the Second World War. She remembered her life when she was a young girl in Japan in like 1890, 1900. And she drowned and she found the brother of the small boy and he's accepted her now. She went to Japan and found the house where she had lived and the Japanese TV made a documentary about her and in this house and all these people. And she was she went in the house. She was saying, no, that's all wrong. There used to be a kitchen here and the wall here. And you've knocked down the side of the building. And the family's like, yeah, that's that's right. How could you know that? So that 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 really stood out to me as well, that she had these memories. And she says they just seem like normal memories from this life. And they were so much verification there. And that really stands out, makes you think this reincarnation, there's something happening there. And I also feel like we, we could never really know what's going on. And then it could be really complicated. And I've heard other ideas about uh, multi-dimensions, lots of planet Earths, lots of me's, lots of you's having different experiences. And uh, then there's that idea that in the afterlife, time doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So your your soul could be experiencing all of the lives in the same moment and not this linear thing one after another. So it, it starts to fry your brain when you think about how complicated it, it could get. So that that's, that's two people, you know, that really stood out for me. And um, I talked to somebody about near-death experiences 
and verifiable near-death experiences. And there's a book, it's got a hundred verified near-death experiences. When I say verified is that while they were outside their body, they saw something and they talked to somebody about it when they came back and it was verified that this thing actually happened while they were dead on the operating table. And how could they possibly know that thing? And there was one of them that stood out was this guy who was having an operation and he died and he came out of his body and there was, um, he looked at all the machinery showing he was flatlined and his heart wasn't beating and the frantic medical stuff. And there was a nurse in the hall. He could see through a window and he looked at her and then suddenly it's like, pow, he's with her instantly. And he could hear her conversation with her husband. And he thought about her husband. Then he was with the husband, this like instant uh, teleportation. And he was in this guy's apartment and he was looking around it and he thought the guy's socks were hilarious. And he came back to the body and he came out and he was saying to the doctors, the surgeon and the nurses, no, no, this happened. And she was on a call and they could look at the the call log for the phone when she made the call. And they could say, yeah, that was exactly the same time he was flatlined in the operating theater. And so the surgeon went off and he found the apartment and it was exactly as he described. And the guy says, when the surgeon came back to his bed in the hospital, he was holding on to those hilarious socks. <laughs> some kind of proof saying you could not have known about these socks unless you had seen them. So, and you know, there's verification there that consciousness was outside of his body, that he went somewhere and saw something. And then there's verification with the lady with her past life memories of the, the all that stuff verified. And this is what gets me excited. And even after 250 episodes, it's still amazing. And I'm still, you know, loving doing it. That's awesome. And it's, there's just so many questions. That's why, you know, there's that motivation and that inspiration to just keep going, it seems, right? Like there's still so much to uncover, so much for us to really just kind of quantify. And like the way I like to think of it is like, you know, when you brought up a great point, you know, like life isn't this linear thing, right? There's so much more to it. What if it's a multiverse? And it's almost like human ability or human consciousness right trying trying to like really understand it is like the equivalent of like when you first got into rock and roll it's like the equivalent of like listening to acdc or you're going to listen to king crimson and there's a complete difference in like time signatures that maybe you're not ready for just yet and you're really able to just really start taking in different layers of things as maybe our collective consciousness grows what do you think about that? Like, do you think that's why we're starting to really uncover more about maybe reincarnation, maybe talking about consciousness and how it's able to really travel? I think that we're we're moving forward with spiritual kind of knowledge and yeah. learning things. And there's that great work that's being done at the University of Virginia by Dr. Jim Tucker and Dr. Bruce Christ. Bruce Grayson and others. And Jim Tucker works with children with past life memories and Bruce Grayson works with near-death experiences. And they're proper academics in a university doing this study, moving the knowledge forward. It's not, you know, just uh, me as an amateur scrabbling around trying to do it. And they're not the only academics who are finding real evidence that consciousness is more than might be suggested. You know, we're not just biological robots. And 
I, I heard a phrase about science. It doesn't sound very nice, but science moves forward one funeral at a time. You know, you've got to wait for the old guard with all the old ideas to move out the way for the young people mm-hmm. who are more open-minded and more into searching, you know, move, thinking outside the box, so right. to speak. And so, and then there's people like us on the internet who are producing these things and, they're spreading the information as widely as possible. That's one of the reasons I do the podcast because you know I see stuff and I think this is just amazing. Nobody yeah. knows about this. Maybe if I do a podcast, somebody might listen, you know, and we spread this information. And also, this information can be therapeutic in a way. You know, you you probably get emails like me with people saying, you know, I, I your podcast is just amazing. I, I had a a terrible fear of death and it would keep me awake at night because I think that's the end of me. But now gaining this information has changed my life. And or somebody might say, you know, my husband died a year ago and I've been terribly grieving, but I found this information and it's really helped me believe that they're not just dead and that they moved into the afterlife. And it's it's a great place to be. So, you know, that there's uh moving forward the the information's getting out there and the younger people are coming into these positions of authority and you know they're getting that thing that there's more to the brain and it's uh it's it's a, there's some amazing experiments going on that show that the brain can do stuff that science says it can't do and uh there's a lady who is the head of the American Statistical Association. Can't remember her name right now, but she said the statistics show that psychic powers have been proven. There's no doubt about it. So it's it's great that we all this is moving forward. I couldn't agree more. I find it fascinating because we hear about you know some some cultures, even ancient cultures, but they, they've talked about reincarnation for thousands of years. And you know, even the Tibetans talking about reincarnation and this the fascination that you know I I found interesting, you know, with my reading and just seeing where even just Nazi Germany having this interest in the occult, but then they had this obsession with Tibet and going in and trying to really talk to these, you know, isolated groups of folks and trying to understand consciousness and really trying to understand what happens to the soul and what happens to the body and with now science really backing things up now with yes there are cases and studies that are being done now it makes me wonder where this is all going to be even in just five years because i think back five years and some of these same conversations weren't happening like they are today yeah yeah and i'm hoping in five years they'll see more of a connection between our, our lives and how we live them and reincarnation soul plans but then you see more of a connection also with the, the ufo phenomena and right. what's happening there and the weird thing that people who claim to have been abducted by aliens they have these after effects that to do with amazing synchronicities happen to them they can't wear wristwatches because they don't work and electrical items malfunction around them and these weird after effects, they have psychic flashes, but then you find out people who've had near death experiences, they have exactly the same after effects. So that, that it seems like there might be some connection there. And I had this lady as a guest on the podcast, and she's a kind of uh, 
psychic medium, I think, and her specialist is communicating with your spirit guides. So you go and see her for that, not to talk, say, a dead loved one, but with your spirit guides. And she was saying that one night she woke up standing next to her bed, and at the end of her bed there were four ETs, these greys, aliens, and she was freaked out and she looked at the bed and her body was still in the bed. She was having an out-of-body experience. Like, a, you know, when you say a soul or a spirit had left her body mm-hmm. and there were these ETs. And as soon as she saw her body in her bed, she, that, that freaked her out. And suddenly, bang, she was back in her body. And she sat up and there's no ETs there. So it was kind of like there's this astral area where the ETs are that she could see them when she was in spirit form. But when she was physical, she couldn't see them. So that's that weird connection that they may be in that space where afterlife is, where all our spirits are. And there's another thing where some people have been abducted by aliens. I, I don't know if that's the right phrase. They, they call themselves experiencers sometimes. Right. And for some people, it's a spiritually transformative experience, these things. But um, they would say to the ETs, you can't do this to me. You've got no right to abduct me like this and do these things. And the ET would say, but you agreed to this before you were born. It's like, you know, it's part of your life plan. And it's it's this weird connection there between the reincarnation. And because I've taken people through past life regressions who've gone to lives on other planets. And, and, you know, it's not me directing them there as a hypnotist. I use the same process to go into a past life that you might find on Earth, but they just say, I'm not in a human body. I'm, I'm on some other planet. And it, it, it's fascinating when that comes up and we can go with it and find out about that stuff. Yeah, so I've, I've started rambling then. I was going all sorts of directions. No, that's great. That's what this is about. We're going into the deep. (laughs) That's what we do, Simon. (laughs) And I wonder too, because like when we think about our dreams and we think about our lives, you know, and then we think about consciousness, but then I also start thinking about like you brought up with, you know, extraterrestrials and aliens. And some people theorize that people who are experiencers are on a different frequency or a different vibration of their own consciousness or their journey. And maybe that's how we're able to see these beings and they're able to pop in and out of this dimension that we recognize. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that? I guess that ideology of, of do you think that extraterrestrials are using that consciousness or that sort of like interdimensional travel through consciousness? Like, how do you think it's working in your, in your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. It's a difficult one. Yeah. You know, there's, there's this, uh, there's an idea uh, that I've heard of, you don't see a UFO unless they want you to see them. And you can have a sighting where you have five people, two of them will see the UFO, the other three won't. It's almost like the UFO can present themselves to your consciousness because as uh, you know, to these people's consciousness, but not to those. It's like they have some telepathic ability to right. cloak themselves. That's you know getting a bit Star Trek and cloaking devices there, but it's it's also a thing that uh, UFOs have lights all over them sometimes, and they've got such technology they're perfectly capable of flying around without lights on. They don't need anti-collision lights. So why do they have lights on? It's because they want to be seen. 
Mm. You know, that, that that's the question there. And um, so we, we hear about uh, people having lives on other planets and the ET saying, uh, you, you agreed to do this before you were born. I think there's a thing where the ETs, the aliens, the UFOs, it's all part of the big picture. Mm. And we're getting some of the puzzle pieces for this picture, but we can't see the whole picture, but we can see some of it. And it's, you know, people talk about uh, raising the earth or raising mankind and moving into a higher level. And that maybe what the ETs are doing is part of that, that this abduction phenomena is raising a lot of people because they start out when they're younger, maybe in their teenage years, and people talk about being abducted maybe twice a week for months and then maybe once a week and then maybe once a month and then it all ramp up again. So it's not just a random thing that they, they're abducted once and they start off hating it and being terrified. But over a few years, it changes their relationship. And so with the ETs, when they turn up, they're not freaked out anymore and they're not scared. And they kind of, they go with them and they're not, it's not an abduction. And that's, they've been raised in somehow the consciousness. The ETs are always said to communicate telepathically. And maybe it's an accident. Maybe it's a byproduct, you know, that people are raised and have it a spiritually transformative experience with ETs. But um, it, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just weird because I talk to other people with other experiences, you know, say people have near death experience and they move into that afterlife space, whatever it is. I've never heard one of them say, oh yeah. And there was an ET there with my grandfather or, or, you know, or something like that. There's never any mention of it. But I, I kind of think near-death experiences, that's such a huge subject to talk about for hours. But I kind of feel that when somebody has a near-death experience, the space they move into, whether it's heavenly or it's more like Earth, because people have such different experiences, it's almost like a staging post or, or the, it's the theatre of the near-death experience that everything you see and experience is built just for you to give you just what you need and that you're not actually going into the afterlife your spirit guides or whoever's involved build something for you that will give you that thing so um it's it's just amazing how it all connects up and the people who have et experiences like i said they can become much more psychic and have premonitions and uh, it's good and bad but it's it's all connecting up in some way. It's interesting what you're saying there. It's it's almost like they're given this very personalized experience where maybe the surroundings and maybe the people or the beings that they encounter are for their own personal observation, like almost like their own personalized allegorical example so that they can understand it on a deeper level, which could even tie into, like you said earlier, maybe three people being together and one witnessing or experiencing a UFO sighting, that it's almost like, could it be that these beings somehow, like you had said, we agree to these, or these individuals agree to these contracts, if you will, or agreements before birth, that they're almost directly making sure they're getting that message themselves. Cause that's what it's starting to sound like with just some of these things that only the individual would understand that environment and that experience 
Yeah, yeah, that's why I kind of the- think of it as a, a personal theatre because it's yeah. it's all a, pro- a performance for you. Right. I talked to this lady uh, called Nancy Rhines, and she had a near death experience, and uh, she died on the operating table. She was cycling, and she was hit by a car, and um, she went into this space. She said it reminded her of Scotland. She'd never been to Scotland, but it was this wonderful open meadow with this forest around her and mountains in the distance, the most incredible heavenly space. And she said there were a couple of people there who she said they were on her spirit team. And she was talking to them and she looked over her shoulder behind her. And this space she'd been walking through was just dissolving away into mist. And one of her spirit team said to her, yeah, we built this all for you, just for this experience. This whole landscape is to give you exactly what you need in this near-death experience. And so that, that that's what it makes me think of, you know. And people might go into what you might call a neutral near-death experience, where it's not fantastic and loving, and it's not terrible, and weird things happen, and it's all very individual. I talked to a guy who went into this space in his near-death experience, and he said it was like a, a New York after a nuclear war with all the buildings destroyed. It was like a hundred years after the war. It was all no one there, and there was this huge mechanical egg, and it was a, a lattice work, so he could put his hand inside the egg, and inside there was all these gears and things turning. And there was a voice that said, you can make changes. And he'd he'd look in and he just knew this little gear in here was something to do with his life and it was negative. And he could grab it and throw it out and then it would all realign itself. And so he could see that this, this egg, whatever it was, was his life. And all these parts were parts of his life. And so he started looking for all the bad stuff and taking it out, throwing it away. And then suddenly he thought, hang on, if I'm throwing away all these bad experiences, am I removing parts of my life so that I'll die younger? I'm removing all these minutes and hours from my life. And so he stopped doing it. And so, you know, that's such a weird scenario to be in that apocalyptic landscape with that egg and doing that stuff. And that's so personal to him to get the message to him about his life, just like Nancy Rhines was in this amazing landscape. And then I talked to Howard Storm, who is now, I think he's retired, but he was a pastor and he had a negative near-death experience. And part of that, he was about 30 years old and he was teaching art at a university and he took his students to Paris and he had this terrible stomach pain and he ended up in hospital And he was lying in his hospital bed and it was this tiny little hospital outside of Paris and it was the weekend and the nurses said, oh, all the doctors have gone home. We're trying to get hold of a doctor to come in and help. This was back in the 80s and um, they weren't allowed to prescribe anything. They couldn't give him painkillers. He was in this terrible pain. And uh, they found out that his, his stomach acids were leaking into his abdomen and uh, he thought he was going to die he's in so much pain. And the next thing he knew, he's standing next to the bed and he's looking down at his body. And there were these voices in the hall and they said, hey, Howard, come with us, come with us. And he thought, it's time for my operation. So he went out and there were these people and they walked down this hallway and it got darker and darker. And he started to think, this isn't right. I don't remember the hospital being this big. This hallway's going on forever. 
And he said, I'm going to go back. And then they, these people started getting really aggressive and swearing and pushing him around. And he went with them and into the, in this space that's complete darkness. And it wasn't a nice experience. And then he, he was an atheist, but it got to this point where he was trying to call on Jesus and God, and he was trying to remember a prayer, and he couldn't remember, and he started reciting Shakespeare. And he started singing uh, like a commercial music from, from around Christmas time. But then he suddenly remembered the Lord's Prayer, and he started saying it over and over. And all these people around him started backing off. And they were shouting at him, these, these prayers can't help you. But he realized they were backing off as he was saying the prayer. And this pinpoint of light way above came down and picked him up and took him into the light. And he said that he was with Jesus. And I said to him, well, how did you know it really was Jesus? It wasn't just some spirit presenting themselves. And he says to me, oh, boy, you know, <laughs> when you're there, you know. But he so he he had that experience and he went into the light and it affected him so much it changed him so much he be, he went to seminary and he he became a pastor and before that he was an atheist he was an aggressive atheist you know and that was such a change and uh, i think he ended up getting divorced because it changed him so much his wife couldn't live with him anymore she was an atheist you know and so it was like if you look at his life and we were talking about you get what you need. It's almost like that near-death experience. His spirit guides knew what he needed, and they constructed that whole scenario for him to change his life. And it's it's, it's what we see in near-death experiences is people change so much between before and after, and they may only last like two minutes in earth time. I've had people tell me about they'll be in a near-death experience for two weeks but the doctors will say, no, you were dead for 30 seconds. You know, although they'll be there a year and they'll be dead for two minutes. But um, it's that thing where, like we were saying, you get exactly what you need. It's the theater of the near-death experience. It's all constructed for you. And it made such big changes to that, those three people that I've just talked about. And um, it's it's why it's called a spiritually transformative experience. And people talk about being in the near-death experience, so their perception is incredible, their eyesight and their hearing, and they say that they can think faster and they have tremendous knowledge about the universe, you know, which none of them ever seem to bring back with them. <laughs> you know, it's it's like um, I talked to Eben Alexander. He had a near-death experience, and he was professor of neurosurgery at Harvard Medical School. And so when he had a problem with his brain that killed him, He's the, uh, the perfect guy who's going to be able to read his medical stuff and work out what was going on. And uh, he he was saying that um, he got exactly what he needed because he was an atheist beforehand. And now he's, he's not an atheist. He didn't become a kind of religious like a Christian or something, but he's very spiritual. Mm. And uh, he was saying that um, what happened to his brain, there was no way it could construct these things and remember them. There's no way your brain could form those memories when it's in the state his was in. And he had a very interesting verification where he, he saw this young woman during his near-death experience in the afterlife. And it was later 
he, he was adopted and he never knew his birth family and he tracked them down and there was a picture in the house and there was that woman in the picture and they said, yeah, she, that's, that was your sister, but she died years ago. And so he'd seen her in the near-death experience. He didn't know what she looked like. And it was later verified, and he met her in the afterlife. So it's quite amazing how, how all that's come together. But I was talking about perception, because there's one of these uh, critical things that skeptics will say, you know, it's all dreamlike. It's the product of a dying brain. But the, the perception is so much better than normal. You know, people talk about how they need glasses in normal life, but in the near-death experience, they don't need glasses. And I was talking to a woman who uh, had a near-death experience, and she said she looked down at her hands, and they were like 18-year-old's hands. And she had moved into her 18-year-old body while she was in the, the afterlife space. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I, get, I get quite excited talking about this stuff, even after all this time. And it shows. I mean, you know, I, you know, successful podcast, a lot of great guests and you know, fascinating stories and each one unique and different and tailored, you know, to that specific person, that experience that they have. So, I mean, kudos to you. <laughs> Thanks. So I got to ask, you know, with, with the podcast, I mean, we're talking hundreds of episodes, we're talking, you know, a lot of research that goes into it, you know, each and every guest. I got to ask Simon, any plans for you writing a book or anything? Um, I've, I've got an idea for a book, but I'm, I'm not in definite plans to put it together. Right on. I, I, I had this idea of um, looking at different aspects of the near-death experience, which we I haven't seen a book quite like it, mm. where, and I could take transcripts of what near-death experience have told me in podcasts. And there may be a chapter about the life review, a chapter about spiritual beings that you meet, a chapter about dead loved ones that you meet, a chapter about um, the tunnel of, that people say they see when they have a near-death experience. And But, you know, actually only 15% of people who have a near-death experience talk about going through a tunnel. The rest mm. of them, there's no sort of tunnel. But yeah, that that's my idea for a book. And I, I'm looking at constructing that. Awesome. Good deal. How about some music? Any any music, Simon? What are you listening to? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I because I, I've been playing 40 years yeah. and I, I started out, um, I got my first bass on my 15th birthday. And like two days later, my, my brother had bought us tickets to see ACDC. Yes. And it was, <laughs> was on the Back in Black tour. Wow. And it was in Hammersmith Odin in London. And it was all seated and we were in the second row seats. And so if anything's going to pummel into a 15-year-old's brain, they want to be a rock star, is receiving an electric guitar and then seeing ACDC two days later. So, that yeah, I just went crazy with it, blisters on the fingers and all that kind of thing and uh, learning ACDC songs and Van Halen and Rush and all those bands. Oh, love it. And you you must have seen some really great shows, especially growing up there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember it was almost every two weeks or every month somebody would be playing at Hammersmith Odeon, and that was just down the road from us, so we could get the tickets. And I remember it was maybe three pounds for a ticket, you know, and that that's a ridiculous idea now. <laughs> but I saw everybody from Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz, 
and I saw Budgie and the Scorpions oh. and uh, Motorhead, you know, seeing all those sorts of bands. And then later in the 80s, my bass playing got a bit more technical and I started seeing more funk and disco and all these great bass players and and then uh, Metallica as well. And, you know, when I when I first heard of Metallica, they had, nobody knew who they were. It, we were playing songs from their first album. So it's it's been a long road where I've gone through everything from heavy metal to you know, disco and acid jazz and funk and and uh, blues and everything. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, do you play out uh, with any any group or like some friends or anything like that? Yeah, that's uh, that's years of that. You know, I'm living on the south coast of England now, but I, used to, I lived in London until I was 40. And we were gigging two or three times a week, sometimes four times a week. And we were writing all our own music and we were doing covers. So we might gig Friday doing our own music, then Saturday at somebody's wedding playing Sheik and Sister Sledge. And then uh, Sunday afternoon doing a jazz gig somewhere else playing all our acid jazz. So, you know, we, we were really busy and it was a lot of fun. And uh, we ended up with our own music. We Sting said we could do some recording at his house. Hey. And that's that's uh that's not a commercial studio you know you can't book time to record in his studio it's just that our manager knew him and uh so we had this this horn section that worked with mike uh, george michael and elton john and we, we had the london community london community gospel choir singing on one of our songs and uh yeah it's you know it's a lot of fun doing that and we got into some tv shows and radio and all sorts of things that's fantastic. If you don't mind me asking, what was the name of the group? That group was called uh, Sleeping Giants. And th there was a band called Constant Orange as well that did uh, some TV shows. Wow. And um, yeah, it was, yeah, it, it was, it's fun when uh, we, we were playing with this drummer who was in a band called Wet, Wet, Wet. Yeah. I don't know if were, and yeah, the Wet, Wet, Wet fans heard we were gigging. And so we go and do these gigs and it was like you were a superstar with all these screaming people and these gigs. And we, we were just a, a small band who happened to have a famous drummer and we didn't play any wet, wet, wet songs. But, you know, that's a lot of fun being almost treated like the Beatles. <laughs> I bet. Right. They were going, you know, hoping you were going to play some wet, wet, wet songs, you know, or just falling in love with what you're making. Yeah. Yeah. I hope we weren't a disappointment. Oh, I'm sure you weren't. <laughs> that's so awesome. It sounds like you've had this wonderful, amazing, full life thus far and even more to come. Uh, I love that, Simon. Where can folks find you on the internet and where can they find the podcast? Well, the podcast, the two podcasts is the Past Lives podcast and the Alien UFO podcast. And I've put them out as widely as I can. So they're on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Podbean, all, all these different places. They're on Spreaker. And um, my website is called pastlifeshypnosis.co.uk. And people can contact me there. And I, I've got a booking page. So if you wanted to book a past life regression, you can go into my calendar and choose the date and time that suits you. And I'll do a free consultation call, about 20 minutes, if you're thinking of doing it. So that, that's where you can find me. That's great. So you actually will do, you, you, people can book you to do a past life regression? Yeah, I do them on Zoom. 
Awesome. And they're really effective and they can be really healing. And, uh, you know, I, I had a, a woman, a client a few months ago, and she emailed me a few weeks ago and was talking about how since the past life regression, her eczema is completely cleared up. And she's been trying to do that her whole life, seen doctors and all sorts of people. And it was the hypnosis, we think, that did it. And it was coming something that was coming through from a past life. Wow. And yet she was able to just uncover this through that regression and then come out of it changed. Yeah. It, it was a she saw herself in a forest and she stepped in a bear trap. And you know, those big metal claws they grabbed her leg, and that's where the eczema was. And so in a past life, she might have stepped in a bear trap and she saw it and she understood it, and the energy was released. And the eczema cleared up in this life. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Do you have any events or anything where like maybe uh, appearances or things where you're going to be doing anything where people could, you know, meet you live or you're doing any live events at all? No, not really. No. Cause I'm, I'm down on the South coast about hundred miles from London. Gotcha. And there's not a lot going on around here <laughs> and uh, I'm not aware of stuff in london and um but i do a, a monthly video meetup on zoom so people who can subscribe to that can all come on the zoom call and i also ask a special guest to come on maybe somebody who's had a near-death experience and then they can talk about their near-death experience people can ask them about their near-death experience you know so it's it's um that that can be a, a good thing to do that sounds great and is there anything that you, you know, this whole experience thus far with, you know, the podcast and, and all these great guests and all the research that you've done, what's, what's something if you could right now, you could share with, with everyone listening and watching, what's that sentiment that you'd like to share? When I do a past life regression, I take people into this space of light and we ask their spirit guides to come forward. And about 90% of the time they come forward, you know, it's up to them. I can't guarantee it. And we can ask them all sorts of questions, but almost every time they say the, the same sort of thing is that we are always with you. You're not alone and that your guides will always want the best for you. So that that's the thing, you know, that I would leave with people is, uh, you know, that you ask for help and uh, they can help you. And there you have it. I cannot thank Simon enough for his time and his energy. I surely would implore all of our listeners to definitely check out Simon's podcasts, the Past Lives podcast, as well as the Alien UFO podcast. You can find Simon at pastlivesypnosis.co.uk. Thank you all for joining us on this journey. If you liked this episode, drag your finger across those stars and give us that rating, please. We're still a new podcast, so every rating helps. And if you're watching this podcast, hit that like button. We hope you're subscribed to the channel and hit that notification bell so you can find out about new episodes when they come out. And until next time, take care of one another and keep thinking for yourself. <laughs>